0: Sam Clements, and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly supported by Kia, champions of independent cinema. Welcome to our September edition of the show. If it's your first time, we do a monthly show which covers a handful of the big films out in any given month. As you know, if you're familiar with cinema listings... There are often multiple films out every week, and, and it's quite a lot. So what we're going to do on this show is just pick pick a few. Pick a few titles that we're excited about, we'll discuss, we've got a special guest on this episode, and, and we'll have a nice, very September-flavoured film chat. And on every episode, we are joined by two brand new guest film critics—people whose work we are fans of, whose voices we'd love to get on the show—and uh, and yeah, we keep the, we keep it fresh. We, we rotate the slate of our guest uh, critics every. Every month, uh, just just to have different voices on the show. Really, I thought it was kind of a neat neat thing to do, and it, it lets us talk to so many, uh, you know, great film reviewers and writers and podcasters and, and all sorts. So, on the, our September edition of the show, I am very pleased to welcome Sophie Monks Kaufman, a very talented writer. You may have read her words in Sight and Sound, in Little White Lies magazine. Uh, she's written a fabulous book on where's Anderson, and uh, and joining Sophie is. Al Horner, uh, another person whose words you may have read in prestigious publications such as Empire Magazine, uh, but you can also hear his voice as the host on the Script Apart podcast. One of my favourite podcasts. It's, uh, It's basically Al talking to screenwriters about their first draft. First up on our September episode, we are going to be talking bodies, 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 that wasn't a recording error. The film is Bodies Times Free. And uh, it's the brand new film from A24, directed by Helena Rayan. And star. it's got this all-star cast. It's incredible. It stars Rachel Sennett, who you may have seen in Shiver Baby. It also stars Maria Baklova, who you may remember from... Uh, Borat 2 she was in Borat 2 and, and she kind of stole the show uh, in that one it also features Pete Davidson and Lee Pace and, and a whole a huge cast it's, it's a really fantastic movie I'm excited to hear what Al and Sophie make of the film and right after their review at Sundance London uh, Film Festival I got to speak to the director Helena so stay stick around uh, and straight after Al and Sophie's review uh, we'll hear from Helena about making the movie <laughs>
1: wants to play bodies
0: bodies bodies so how do you play if you draw the piece of paper that has the x on it you are the murderer let's go
1: oh hey al uh fabulous to be chatting with you may i ask you what you think of the motion picture buddies buddies buddies
2: oh you may indeed yeah i really enjoyed this film it's it's a bit of a curious one like uh well first and foremost let's get the big elephant in the room out of the way. I think this is the biggest cultural moment for neon glow bands since the noughties music genre new rave. So that's obviously a big talking point. I don't know how you felt about the klaxons and all those kind of bands, but this was giving me some throwbacks to that in the uh, the use of neon glow bands. Oh
1: my Um, god, yes, from Atlantis to Interzone, you start at the end. Exactly. And you end on your own.
2: This is now a Klaxon's podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Apologies to Picture House listeners, but yeah, no. In all seriousness, this was a film that I kind of came out of the cinema in a bit of a daze, not really knowing how I was responding to it, but knowing I'd been entertained. And then, um, yeah, it was. It was one of those that kind of really lodged its way in my head for a good couple of days, and uh, I sort of tossed and turned it over in my thoughts quite a lot. And yeah, it's interpretable in a number of different ways. It's, uh, I guess, for for anyone coming new to this, it's it's kind of a black comedy horror who done it. I guess would you, would you agree with that? Is that kind Nailed of it, yeah. It also feels like a bit of a kind of like grenade thrown into the discourse around Gen Z and a lot of their habits and generational values. So um, yeah, it's it's a film that it really reminds me of like uh, that song you know, Super Rich Kids by Frank Ocean.
1: I'm not actually aware. Sorry.
2: Okay. I'll sing it from start to end. I'm not going to sing it. No, I'm just kidding. But are um, such a tease. Yeah. Always. I'll save it for the end of the episode. But yeah, basically, like it's a, that's that's a song that is kind of about like, well, exactly what it says on the tin: super rich kids and the kind of like trappings of of wealth and sort of some of the ennui that can come with that. And this is that song kind of written to sort of horror movie form. I really enjoyed it, but um I'm curious, you know, Sophie, we're we're friends. We're we're buddies, 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 some might say. Oh
1: my um, god. <laughs> did you work for earlier, did you? How long did it that take you to come up with?
2: All night. All night, yeah. Um yeah, no, I uh but but usually I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on your taste and I can predict whether or not you're gonna like a movie. But I kind of realized in like this morning in the run-up to this conversation. I don't know whether this... I I couldn't predict whether this was going to be something you went for or something you didn't. How did you get on with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies?
1: Okay, well, first of all, I'm really happy that I still retain an air of mystique. (laughs) Actually, so my entry point to this film was I saw the Dutch director Helena Regen. I hope that's the correct pronunciation. I saw her previous film, which is very, very different to this, called Instinct. And it's like a very grown-up psychosexual thriller about a prison therapist who develops sexual feelings for her Violent sexual offender, inpatient that she's treating, and it's it's you know it's, it's quite serious and it's you know it's very sexy but like not in the way that buddies 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 is sexy like buddies 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 kind of feels like she, much like you Al went to L.A. and let her hair down It's a much more tongue in cheek proposition, and I really enjoyed it in the moment. The horror and the comedy are, are both done really well and Emel did really well. And i think the type of horror comedy that a lot of audiences are used to maybe to the point of exhaustion is that kind of like scream scary movie-esque satire but in this situation the comedy doesn't come from sending up uh, the genre so much as from the way these characters are crafted and as you said they're like these eminently mockable gen z who are super rich kids uh, but then the horror actually is played quite straight like there are some moments where i was feeling a genuine sense of peril like jump scares like characters wandering into places where you fear no good will come to them. Um, so I, I feel like it, 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 yeah, I feel like it c- carries off both those elements really well. And, um, you know, there are a few lags in it, uh, but I think it has quite a satisfying payoff, but I think I definitely didn't take it with me out the cinema. Um, I did not toss and turn with it as I hear that you did, uh, but I think it was like very enjoyable and very well-crafted and certainly some extremely, it, it feels like the sort of film that the cast had a great time making and that, transfers the audience and you know a special shout out to Rachel Sennett who is just a joy to watch fully.
2: Such a joy and also you know the the blend of horror and comedy in this she was the breakout star of of Shiver Baby one of my like favorite films of last year and uh that kind of blended horror and comedy in a really similar way or you know these these are very different movies but there was a, a similarity in the way that was um yeah it was it was kind of crossing the crossing the divide there. You mentioned Scream. I thought this was going in. I thought this was going to be Scream updated for, like, the Euphoria generation. And, like, it's not that. And I think it's all the better for that. It's, um, yeah, it's curious. Like, I didn't know at that point when I was going in that this was originally a spec script by the author behind... Did you ever read uh, Cat Person? This sort of viral short story.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, uh, Kristen Rupenian, I, I think yeah
2: yeah that's that's my pronunciation i hope it's hope it's on the money but yeah she wrote the original sort of spec script it was then rewritten so it's obviously kind of gone through many like layers of iteration but um yeah this this was kind of from her genius mind and uh i didn't know that going in and when you sort of sit down and kind of learn that fact after you know after you come out of the movie it makes sense like these are it's a well-observed story about well-observed characters and, you know, the, a lot's been made out of the kind of like Gen Z-ness of it all, I guess, for for lack of a better term. You know, there's a lot of different interpretations of the film in which, like, some people have said it's like a condemnation of Gen Z and their sort of perceived narcissism kind of tearing each other apart. Others have said, well, you know, it's actually, it's not that and it's much more sympathetic. And I'm kind of having having kind of learnt this by that author, I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe it's it's kind of more. It's more sympathetic than, than some people are kind of reading the film as. I'm being very careful not to spoil anything because it is very twisty, it has a very surprising ending, and uh, I don't want to give anything away.
1: Yes, you much like Johnny Cash, you walked the line there. So I don't <laughs> I don't think it's been spoiled.
2: That is the first time anyone has ever compared me to Johnny Cash. Especially <laughs> anyone who's heard me play guitar.
0: Good morning, Helena. Welcome to the Picture House Podcast. Thanks. Thank you very much for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm also excited because it's a podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when did you start working on this film? I saw in the um, credits there's a few COVID sort of messages. So I assume it was you know more yeah. of a recent production uh, yes. when you had to take all of those safety measures into account.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I think I came on board almost two years ago wh- is when they asked me. It really happened here in London where I met Joe Talbot, who is the director of Last Man. Uh, standing in San Francisco. Mm. And he uh, said, you should meet the people of A24. It was at a dinner organized by the London Film Festival. So that was... Oh, nice. I have <laughs> such, yeah, sweet memories. And, and also it was such an important moment. And then I met them and then they, um, they gave me the script. And then I... Of course, it's something so different after my first film, which is way more dark and art house and the psychological thriller. Mm. But I was so ready to do something lighter. And also... <laughs> Com- making a comedy or, or acting, being funny on stage or whatever, is both really, really hard. You know, so I, I was, I was uh, really ready for that challenge as well. So that's how I came on board, and then we started to um, really develop the script from what it was until mm. what it is right now, and rewrite it with Sarah Delap, a theater, a playwright. And uh, yeah, and we made it during uh, uh, COVID. It it was after the big wave, Mm -hmm. you know, but it was still very, very restricted when we were shooting.
0: So yeah, more more people going back to work, but with all of the extra guidance and things to keep people safe. Yes,
3: (laughs) yes. All the testing Mm -hmm. and all that. And also just being afraid every day of the, uh, you know, because you had these rules. So if one, But positive comes out of the testing, even if it's a false positive, you have to stop for so many hours, you have Mm. to have ventilators everywhere, you have to open windows. So for sound, it was incredibly hard, (laughs) you know, Um, but yeah, it was during that period that we filmed.
0: I guess it's it's what I love about the film is it's quite a it's quite a tight cast. You haven't got many characters in the movie, um, and and I guess that must help actually when you have fewer you know sort of people involved <laughs> uh, on a project.
3: Absolutely, and that's also something that really attracted me to the project. So I used to be an actress. I'm retired, but I used to do only theater mainly. Mm-hmm. And in you know do, being on the stage, there's always like just one location really, right? Because it's just the stage. So when I read the script, I was like, this all takes place in one house, mm. you know, and I thought that was very very interesting and compelling and this pressure cooker this psychological pressure cooker where these characters are all under yeah and of course uh, shooting something like that during COVID was really great because we could really uh, all be in this prison of this house <laughs> you know and really stay inside and we just went to the hotel and back and everybody stayed in the bubble as they mm-hmm. call it so that was very handy but also as a director artistically I thought that was a great way of making a film just have everybody be together and mm. You know, and 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 it's only twenty four hours or even less that you know this story takes place in. So that's something that really, um, yeah, that I find compelling.
0: I love I love films where they sort of take characters out of their normal element uh, and they put them together and, and something unexpected happens and you know all of these things happened in Bodies yeah. Bodies in maybe a way audiences haven't quite seen uh, before. <laughs> I, I thought it was a very sort of like modern twist on on that classic setup.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we watched. Uh, A classic horror film with Winona Ryder called Heather's. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love that as an inspiration. But also just um, more like Clue, you know, like like very classical, (laughs) like whodunits. Mm. But of course, I want to put my own sort of crazy sauce over it and my darkness and (laughs) and everywhere I come from. And then I think for me, the most important thing was that I really wanted to try and and, and, very humble, of course. But to say something about our times and that we're all so addicted to our phones and that we're Mm. not really paying attention to each other. and We rarely... Really look at well, what is really going on. You know, we're not really in the moment at all anymore because we're constantly on six hundred different screens. Mm. That's basically what this film is about. You know,
0: absolutely. I, I loved those, um, the, the sort of classic murder mystery elements of it. That like, reminded me of um, uh, Mousetrap. Uh, yes. It reminded me of, of Agatha Christie. It Reminded yes. me of Poirot. And and I love that. You know, but they're often sort of period things or they're sort of set in a you know with maybe like older cast members to see a group of 20 yeah. somethings <laughs> yeah. basically doing a murder mystery you know with their phones and all of the sort of data going on there yeah. I thought it it's great and you also have that great device of course of the phones not working yeah. So then they're like, what do we do? <laughs> you know,
3: exactly. Who are we without reception? Who are we without those machines? You know, it's 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 it has become part of us, and and yeah, that's something that really intrigues me. But I love what you're saying about the classical whodunit and the classical mm. murder mystery. That's exactly what I was going for. And of course, there are elements of horror in it, but um, yeah, the murder mystery and the just the fun and the comedy and the mm. and the and the comment on our times and this generation. You know this particular generation and mm. and and their narcissism a little <laughs> bit and I mean we're all part of that right Absolutely, because we yeah. all live in these times so we're all narcissistic all,
0: we've all got Instagram and Facebook and <laughs> exactly. <stuff. laughs> exactly no only, my, only that one of my good side <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> Yeah. and creating all these realities that aren't real and and these characters are all struggling with that you know and I think it's very relatable and I was self part of a, of a very tight friends group that now fa- fell apart a little bit because everybody's having children and mm. all of that but we always used to play the game that this film is about oh, wow. so when I read the <laughs> script I was like oh my god and I always felt so horrified I hated that game mm. Because that game is really about psychological warfare, you know, and I hated it. Every time somebody would cry, every time somebody would, you know, something would break up, like, uh, people who were together would, like, fight. And and I think that, (laughs) and my friend group would always, after that, we would always say, we were never going to do this again. But then a couple of weeks later, you know, it's just because of the... The provocative nature is also, you know, it's a little sexy, it's a little taboo, and that's why we would always play it again. <laughs> but we would always feel sorry afterwards, and that's, of course, what the film is about.
0: <laughs> I did wonder about the game. As i would not heard of the game before, but yeah, uh, it's very well set it, up in the movie. Yeah,
3: it's based on, but very loosely, based on mafia, or in, in Dutch we call it murderer, or the werewolf. There's so many different... Names for that game, and of course, we created our own version of it in the film. But what was very funny during the shoot because the actors were always together in the hotel, right mm. at night, and or during the day when we were shooting at night, and they were actually playing it a lot.
0: Oh, wow! <laughs>
3: yeah, and I was always like, "Oh my god, I wish I could like just put a little camera in their room." But yeah, so they were really into it, and um, of course, in the film, horrifying things happen during the game, and in real life, hopefully, that won't happen when you play the game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've got a you've got a really wonderful cast. Speaking of your actors. Um, and, I think some people recognize some of the actors from recent projects, uh, like Rachel Sennett in Shiver Baby. Yes, but uh, but but they all work so well together. Uh, how did you how did you go about getting you know these these leads, these very important young leads for the film?
3: Um, well, they're all so different and so wonderful, and I love all of them. I'm so proud of them. Um, I, A24 played a big part in casting. They are very very um, good at that, and mm. they are very much. Um, you know, they're rooted in the in, in the current times and they just know about all of that. Of course, I come from a, quite a small country and I know my actors here in the UK and I know my actors in Holland, but mm. that's sort of where it ends, especially when we're talking about young people, you know, because mm. not all of them are super famous. You sort of have to know where they are. So A24 really helped me with that. And then we did a lot of auditions and readings with Pete Davidson. I just knew, like <laughs> e- even when I was in Holland, I already knew who he was, and I was like, okay, he needs to play that. That's like a given. And then Amanda Stenberg was the first actor to come on board because mm. we really wanted to build it around her and she's been acting since she was very um, young and it's just amazing. and has this amazing face mm. and... And also is, you know, a queer activist. And I thought all of those elements are very important for this film. And then when we found Rachel Sennett, I saw, I saw Shiva Baby before it came out. It was They gave me a link to the film and I was just blown away. I thought, who is this? Who is this creature? <laughs> and she is in the film. I, I don't know if you agree, but I think she's so funny and so fresh and so amazing. But all of them. Chase, when I saw her audition tape, I was mm. also... Amazed by her, and, but all, all of them together just are so strong, so strong. And I told them, come from the theater. I've been with one theater group almost all my life, where mm. you know they were my brothers and sisters, and we you had so much trust together that we really dared to go far. We also could, you know, just we felt each other. We technique was really amazing because we could play the ball, you know, in a very smooth way. And I told them, I want to create a little mini theater mm-hmm. ensemble. We don't have that much time, but that's what we did so we rehearsed a lot we, we, mm. we read a lot together and they really took it very seriously you know they really really like when we were shooting they were always running their lines oh, because wow. I told them we going to do really long <laughs> takes you know you have to know your lines as if you're going to go on stage and, and yeah I think they really enjoyed that and um, that really paid off
0: I think that's a good point to end, uh, Helena. But thank you so much uh, for the film. Thank you for talking to us. This was so fun.
3: I loved (laughs) it. Thank you for having me. Uh,
0: We are so excited to play the film at Picture House. I can't uh...
3: wait for it to come out here. (laughs) Can't wait.
2: Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before. So that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars. Inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our Electrified Range is
3: designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires.
0: Well, thank you, Helena, for joining us and uh, and for Alan and Sophie for their review of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies opens on the 9th of September and uh, and I do recommend checking it out. There are actually previews at Picture Houses on the sixth of September. If you're listening to the show in time for those, so have a look at Picturehouses.com. Basically, that's what I'm saying. And see when Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is on. And uh, yeah, it doesn't disappoint. It's a really lovely runtime as well, like ninety-four minutes, leaves you wanting more uh, good stuff. Up next, speaking of films with concise runtimes, our next film is like eighty-five minutes long. And um, if you know my work outside of Picture House, you will know I am a big fan of a short runtime and uh, and yeah I got I'd love this next song it's called Hatching it's directed by Hannah Burkholm it's a Finnish horror movie don't get many Finnish films on release in the UK and and I guess I mean we, there aren't of course there are Finnish filmmakers but not a country that's known you know for its its filmmaking output so it's great that we have this brand new film Hatching uh, from Hannah Birkholm uh, coming to UK cinemas the film is released on the 16th of September and let's hear what Sophie and Dale made of the movie.
1: In the next film we're discussing, we relocate to Finland uh, into the picture-perfect home of a Finnish mummy blogger did you enjoy hatching
2: i had a great time with hatching i had a great time and i really feel like these are interesting movies to kind of pair together because bodies 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 i feel that the filmmakers priority and where the film succeeds is much more in the sort of social satire of it all i feel like that film not to kind of dwell too long on that movie but you know there are moments where characters are screaming you haven't listened to my podcast and getting very angry at each other and all that sort of thing. And it's 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 very interesting, the things it can say and the sort of societal habits that it can satirize. This film feels like a very different, like the opposite type of horror movie in that like it stems from all of the kind of like messaging and thematic content in there feels kind of instinctive. And it stems from like, from what I understand of the film's creation this one really beautiful idea or this one kind of unsettling idea of a, a girl discovering a bird's egg ostensibly and kind of like nurturing it until it, it hatches into a scary doppelganger type thing. it's uh it's very unusual it's very fairy tale like and um, I had an absolute blast with this. Oh yeah. you're nodding your head.
1: Okay well first off, I mean whos debus has not found an egg in the woods and brought it home? <laughs> put it under our pillow and wait for it to hatch i think it's a very <laughs> universal experience but finally cinema is putting on the map yeah. i adored it i'm a, i'm a kind of sucker for these kinds of films with a big central metaphor anyway you know i like especially coming of age and sexual awakening films uh like julia de raw this is i think this is a really really extremely strong film for the reason that it's not just content to have the central metaphor and then like delve off into like what it could possibly mean and the overarching messaging around it. It it takes so much pains over creating this central creature, this doppelganger. And you know, it's like, it's good old fashioned, like creating this creature from scratch. This is not some, you, you would not think this was some green screen creation. It's too disgusting, too gloopy, too weird. I think that was the great revelation of it because as i was watching it unfold and and it it starts off incredibly strongly i think because you you, you're plunged into this mummy bloggers pristine home and then like this bird crashes through the window and you watch the ensuing destruction meanwhile the central character tina who's this quite meek and she's quite hard to read within it but from the beginning it's this very interesting tone of clash of like perfection just being absolutely lampooned Uh, but you're kind of waiting for the reveal with the egg and you're like how good is this creature going to be and then the creature just was as good as a creature really could be so it just it just has it all going on it really
2: does yeah and i I believe well i'm not sure the degree to which like the percentage of what footage is is puppetry but i know that a lot of it is practical puppets were involved and you can really feel that
1: that's the best thing you could say about a film puppets were involved
3: (laughs)
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of this kind of current online idea that you can take any film and replace all but one of the characters with the Muppets and it would be improved. I'm fully on board with that. But yes, it's it's a film in which uh, puppets play a part and the kind of like horror aspect of it in the, the grand tradition of a lot of great horror is, you know, we're introduced to this like young girl who already has these problems and is coming of age in a sort of very interesting environment, a very interesting way. And, you know, she, she's enduring kind of certain challenges at home with a sort of very overbearing mother. And then you have this kind of horrific element that's that's kind of like that struggle she's already kind of grappling with writ large. And the, the result of that, without giving anything away, is this, this sort of like ugly beast parachuted into like this this idyllic setting, this sort of very Instagram-ready home that, well, there's literally the backdrop for this mother's, as you say, like vlog. The vlog has an amazing name. It, can you remember what the name is? It's something like Lovely Day Forever or something like that.
1: Yeah, welcome to our perfect family life. Something <laughs> yeah. like that that neither of us have quite nailed, but we're circling it like that creature.
2: I hope that audiences discover it rather than it... Uh, requiring some sort of American remake to to find a western audience because this is so well told the kid she is so good in this it, she's carrying a lot of the weight here she's phenomenal I don't know whether that's her doing this sort of gymnast scenes as well but extra points if that is the case because you know the athleticism here is is pretty wild but yeah all in Sophie I, I really enjoyed this and True to what I was saying earlier, I feel like I normally have a pretty good sense of what you like, and I was like, "Sophie's definitely into this one."
1: Oh, okay. I feel so seen by you. <laughs> oh, okay, we do need to move on to Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, but I just need to quickly say one more thing about Hatching because I, I think it really is the full package. It looks so good, and it's got these contrasting visual elements, whereas like the pastel florals of the perfect home life and the like, dis- like disgusting, oopy like darkness of it so it's just like a very textured very delicious visual tree every performance is great in it from the kid to the mummy to the like you know the beleaguered males at the periphery i i really hope people show up for this film because it's like just keeps on giving it doesn't run out of steam
0: thank you sophie and al i totally agree with your description of it being a creature feature you don't often see a film like this where you know where the monster is is truly a puppet and it's operated by the puppeteers and and uh and also the actors have something to act against as well it's not they don't have to pretend you know, it's not a golf ball on a stick they they get to see the terrifying <laughs> monster and and you know, and the puppeteers how they're operating it uh, so I, I think you do get a really great performance there and i do recommend hatching in cinemas on the 16th of september now this is quite a segue from hatching film about a uh, terrifying creature to Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, one of my most anticipated films of the year. I love Leslie Manville, the star of this movie. It looks charming, it looks nice. It's about Mrs. Harris. She goes to Paris, she wants to buy a Christian Dior dress, but the nasty shopkeeper looks down on her because she's working class. And, uh, and I don't know too much about it. It's got a lovely trailer. I love the poster. I'm just such a big Leslie Manville fan. Uh, she was wonderful in the TV series Mum a few years ago and uh, yeah, I haven't seen this film yet but Sophie has so let's hear what Sophie makes of Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris Kiss me once, kiss me twice then kiss me once again Isn't it divine? 500 now. pounds 500 quid
1: for a drink?
0: When I put it on nothing else matters
1: My Eddie would love to see me in a
2: Dior gown.
3: War's been over a long time
2: Your Eddie's never coming back Because of uh, geographical challenges, as Sophie mentions, I'm currently in L.A., I wasn't able to get to the screening of this, so I haven't seen this film. I do know that it uh, follows in a grand tradition of movies like Kill Bill, Be Kind Rewind, Don John, The Cat in the Hat, movies that have rhyming titles. I'm a big fan of rhyming titles in movies. But beyond that, I haven't seen the film. I don't know much about it. So I'm I'm relying on you, Sophie, to, to kind of... Yes, yeah, steer me here. What is this movie? And uh, yeah, what was what was uh, what's the plot for anyone else who, like me, is going in completely cold here?
1: Well, it, this is an incredibly charming film. It's the kind of film that you maybe worry a little bit in anticipation will tip into saccharin, but it, it manages it every time that it does somewhat flirt with that there's something about it that's so hard won so earned that you just end up being very 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 charmed and i saw someone on twitter compare leslie manville's central performance uh, to like a human version of paddington and that scam so this is based on a novel written in the 1950s that was then contemporaneous because it's about this widowed cleaning lady in london who one day when she's cleaning one of her like rich client's house, she opens the wardrobe and she sees a Christian Dior dress. And this Dior dress comes to represent her dreams. And she decides she's gonna save up all her money and she's gonna to go to Paris and she's gonna get a Christian Dior dress. As you can imagine, that's not a straightforward business, especially as she encounters a frosty chic Isabel Huppert as the front of house lady at Christian Dior who looks down her nose or her pince-nez Uh, leslie manville and the scenes between them are just an absolute joy like two actresses uh who are i think peerlessly brilliantly nuanced in their performances going at each other uh it's just absolute heaven on earth so yeah i think you can kind of see the like rags to riches framework you can see how it's a story about the power of dreams and what they mean to individuals but it's kind of very it's grounded in that leslie manville performance and she's just so good
2: yeah it's interesting i feel like it's a movie that my mum is gonna watch thinking it's emily in paris which is a very different thing altogether
1: Mm, doesn't rhyme doesn't
2: rhyme of course so it loses points there Mm. it sounds like it's kind of there's obviously kind of a cinderella Esque, uh, you know element to that kind of rags to riches transformation what other kind of sort of cinematic traditions is this follow, falling in did it remind you of any other movies
1: it really did and it reminded me of the type of movie that we don't see so often today the kind of you know William Wyler movies like Roman Holiday with Audrey Hepburn awesome. and Gregory Peck yeah. these like incredibly well crafted studio films with like very high caliber stars in them just bringing a bit of star sparkle and stardust, like it's not necessarily realistic it's just a well-crafted enjoyable and entertaining story that has enough heart that you it leaves you better than it found you and it's the kind of film that also (laughs) it can happen when you when you work in film that you watch a lot of films and you're like that you can't really recommend to people because it's they're a bit niche this is the sort of film that i immediately recommended to my dad and his girlfriend it's like i think it's a film that has enormous potential appeal to like a very large audience and that's not something I with my taste for like creature features often get an opportunity <laughs> to <laughs> to say.
2: Who would you say is like the MVP of this movie, either kind of in front of camera or or in the back? You've already shouted out some of the performances, but um, from what I'm aware, like the the kind of costume designer for the film is like an Oscar winner, and there's some pedigree within the kind of casting crew. Who do you say is kind of winning this movie, and, and sort of is is one of the biggest draws? Anyone? Is there anyone in particular? That you would like to shout out
1: that's a good question i can't just simply repeat myself and say leslie manville but yeah jenny bevan the the geo dresses are like beautiful i think a surprising theme that emerges from it and it's a theme that routinely makes me cry is that of solidarity the backdrop to mrs harris trying to acquire her christian geodress dress against the odds is are these strikes happening in paris like the binmen are on strikes so amidst all these beautiful gowns, there are bin bags piling up in the street, it's their winter of discontent. And also there's a sort of, you know, there's like a gentle strike theme. The Christian Dior house itself is experiencing some financial difficulties that can really only be resolved by collective action. So I think it's, you know, this is not a rabble rousing revolutionary film, but I, I think that theme has been like very deftly woven in as part of the reason why in the end, it doesn't feel like Mrs. Harris achieving her dreams is sort of like a nebulous individualistic things it, it, in a way like what's beautiful about it is you you see people coming together and, and i always find that very moving when it's done well
0: thank you sophie ah oh, i'm so jealous sophie got to see this film i will be there day one genuinely i'm, I'm so excited for this film it feels like the sort of pick me up we could all do with right now And Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris opens on the 30th of September. So at the very end of the month, uh, we'll all take a jaunt on the Eurostar uh, with Mrs. Harris. So we've covered a handful of brand new releases coming to your local picture house this month. There are also, uh, unusual um, <laughs> to, to have this quantity of anyway, there are also uh, a number of high profile re-releases happening in September. Also, there's Jaws. Jaws is coming back in 3D. There's uh, an extended cut of Spider-Man No Way Home, the uh, the big Christmas phenomenon. The one I am most excited about and the film that we will talk about next is the re-release of E.T. It's E.T's 40th anniversary. Uh, Our boys all grown up. (laughs) He went home, he grew up. He's 40 years old now and Sophie and I re-watched E.T to celebrate this re-release and do, do, do if you can revisit this film on the big screen. It's one of the most magical films of all time in my opinion that wonderful John Williams score and it looks so good on the big screen it sounds so good on the big screen uh, that will be playing you know, for select shows um, in early September so check, as you're listening to this check the Picturehouse website see when it's on have a lovely time and let's hear from Al and Sophie what it's like revisiting E.T. 40 years after its release
1: I'm keeping him you can't tell not even mom
2: I don't know about you, Sophie, but E.T. is up there for me with Spielberg's best, which is a phrase that actually, you know, that, that's that's saying something when it comes to that particular filmmaker and the imprint that he has, like on our kind of film watching culture. Yeah, I'd be interested to know where this lands for you, because for me, it's like one of the best distillations of his magic, this sort of way that he kind of weaves like real life kind of character emotion and a fantastical element like this this film is about divorce it's about being a child caught in the midst of parents in it you know sort of going through that it's a wonderful movie i don't think it needs much of an introduction because these the 40 years it has been around it's you know really woven itself into into our collective culture so um yeah g- give me the overview how, like can you remember your first time watching this and uh how has the movie stuck with you in the years since
1: i can't actually remember the first time I, um i watched it because my entry point to steven spielberg was indiana jones starring my first crush harrison ford and river phoenix they were they were two of my first crushes and they were in the last crusade but we're not discussing that so yeah i don't remember exactly when et came about but as you say steven spielberg's masterpiece is a phrase you could apply it to like maybe 10 films but just from the very beginning of E.T., You Cannot Look Away, like the mysterious and slightly ominous framing and the way that he's being hunted and we don't quite see him yet and we don't know how to feel about him. And you've got, as ever, that incredible John Williams score. It really kind of, it sets up what will be the emotional stakes of the film, which is like on the one hand, you've got this like hysterical fear and the other hand, you've got this protective love. And I just think, you know, is there really a better film out there about our fear of the other which is also a family-friendly action adventure sci-fi yeah. movie starring an adorable creature, you know?
2: <laughs> Probably not. I mean, and if if there if there is, then it's certainly been influenced by this film. This film is such a part; it's such an ingrained part of who we are that, like, and and who we are as a film-watching society. That to go back to one of the other movies that we discussed today, like in Hatching, when she's kind of like keeping the egg, keeping the creature in her bedroom in that first act, like I was like, huh this reminds me of E.T. And it, it it's pretty crazy for such an unusual film, the degree to which like, I'm often reminded of E.T. in things I'm watching. One thing that's really kind of curious for me, kind of going back to watch the movie, is, you know, as, as we say, it's 40 years old now, but I'm not seeing anything date in terms of the effects. And I was trying to work out why that was. And, well, Sophie, let me run you by some of my theories. Number one, Spielberg is just the guy he is um, such a master of his craft that like the practical effects he does use whether et or jaws you know he does it in such like uh with such an instinct for what's gonna look good and and the the parts in which like you can let your imagination take over he doesn't need to show all the time and it can be about kind of uh alluding to to a creature alluding to an effect that was kind of one theory i was kind of playing around with another is that just like the, the thing that draws you to the, the sort of merit of this movie, the thing we judge it by is more the feeling than the effects. And we're not sort of like, I found like maybe I'm not really attentive to like the, uh the sort of like puppetry and the other, the sort of craft of how they're making ET kind of walk and talk and do all those things, because really I'm so swept up in the magic of it all. Like it's such an enchanting story. And as a result, I guess maybe I'm not judging it in terms of, like, the effects, the spectacle of it all, I'm I'm too wrapped up in my emotional response to it. Is that crazy? Like, what do you reckon?
1: Those are two very strong theories. And I think it's very fitting that we're discussing this in the same week as Hatching, because both of these films, there's a lot of TLC that's gone into the creature. And in anticipation of this conversation, I did a little bit of internet research on uh, the creation of E.T. And I... I think this actually speaks directly to what you were saying about why maybe the little guy hasn't dated. So this is from Time magazine. Spielberg's first concern was that the star hopping creature not look like traditional depictions of aliens, specifying a look so anatomically different that the audience would never be able to think that there was a person in a suit with a zipper up the back. And it's like, because that is such a distinct look, it doesn't kind of hook that to a particular era. It's just, he, he's very much his own thing. And in the same article, I loved this, talking about the sounds that E.T. made, uh, which partially there were raccoons and horses and Ernest Hemingway and Carl Sandburg, but primarily used line reads by an elderly woman whose perfectly raspy voice came from a lifelong 2 packs a day cigarette habit. <laughs> Did you know that?
2: I didn't know that. I've learned something today. Wow. It does lead us into a very good question. Do you have an E.T.? impression you can rock for us
1: why are you doing this to me Al? what we're friends why are you making me do this <laughs> uh, i don't
2: know i just like uh i figured if anyone could pull it off you don't smoke two packs of cigarettes a day so let's see what the difference is
1: this is humiliating but i've chosen this life so e t oh that's some wincing i can see wincing Out. <laughs> ow you need to do something now? Al, what are you going to do?
2: I told you I'm going to perform Super Rich Kids by Frank Ocean at the end. Unless we run out of time. I feel like we're probably going to run out of time. That's too bad. That was amazing, though. Props
0: to Sophie for her E.T. impression. We didn't ask anyone for impressions when we, we invited them on the show. So that was lovely to hear. And Al... How dare you not also do an E.T. impression? Come on, maybe we'll try and get that next time Out comes on the show. Right, so E.T. in cinemas right now, Released officially re-released on the 2nd of September, but I imagine there will be one-off shows throughout the month. When we invited our guest critics on to talk about the films of September, we also asked them what's currently playing right now as they recorded the show in late August that they'd like to recommend, uh, things that people may have missed, and... What are they looking forward to coming out later in the year?
1: Looking into the current cinematic landscape, what's twinkling out to <laughs> you, Al?
2: Um, so currently twinkling, much in the way that I've been kind of like running bodies, bodies, bodies over and over again in my head, trying to work out the, the various ins and outs and, and nuances of it. Um, nope, that has been uh, on a similar trajectory. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop deciding whether I think it's his, you know, best film or perhaps, well, worst is not the phrase because Jordan Peele is a master filmmaker, but the film that I've connected to least. Um, I think it's the polar opposite of Get Out, which is the movie that like launched him as a filmmaker. That felt very kind of like intentional in uh, him as a filmmaker and as someone with something to say about race in America that felt like him knowing what the message of that movie was and packing it into a screenplay this feels like him just kind of letting his psyche spill out onto a screenplay spill out onto the screen and uh yeah i really really enjoy it i've i've seen i've seen the film twice now and it's i still quite haven't unraveled it it's such a mystery to me and Whether I don't, I don't know sort of how uh, it fits into my Jordan Peele ranking, if there is such a thing. But uh, I do know that, once again, he's delivered something that's kind of really entertained me, but also made me think. And I'm going to pass over to you, Sophie. What is Twinkling for you?
1: It's this film called Official Competition, which is Argentinian, but it stars two of Spain's biggest exports, uh, Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz. And they are both giving just the most delightful comedy performances it's set in the in the film world in the world of arthouse film and i i've kind of compared it to, a little bit to what double palm Door and Ruben Altman is doing is like he's trying to make these big broad sweeping statements this is much more focused on like building up these like increasingly absurd increasingly hilarious situations that could only take place between these different personalities so penelope cruz she plays this like uncompromising visionary and she casts in her film Two actors from very different disciplines. So Antonio Banderas is sort of a populist, and then she also casts another actor who's more of a like serious ponderous guy, and gets them to play brothers. And the way that she gets the psychological results out of them is to put them into these increasingly depraved situations in order to draw from them authentic emotion. I don't know; it's just so funny and such a surprise. It's the, the kind of the concept behind it is that this eighty-year-old sort of Rupert Murdoch-like figure decides that he wants to make a brilliant art film and he has no idea how to do it. So he just tries to hire the right person for the job. Um, But it's like, it's in a way it's very niche because it's it's set in that world of art house cinema and creativity but the, the sort of tensions that power it the rivalry the sort of status anxiety the desire to create truth through art uh, i think like mean that it does have a, a broader crossover appeal and i just i really want people to again see this film rather than the hollywood remake in like 10 years because it's just i think these are marquee names antonio banderas and penelope cruz and it's just nice to see them being so funny, so consistently funny. So yeah, official competition. I recommend it in cinemas now.
2: But how about movies coming up? What's on the horizon that you're like counting down the days to?
1: It's fitting because part of its title is future. But David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, you know, the Canadian Godfather of gore and body horror, he was there before it. most people currently, you know, popularizing the term in a current era, and he's just proven that he's still got it with this glorious dank sexy dystopian thriller set in a world where people don't feel pain and aragorn from lord of the rings can grow new organs in his body and his like performance partner living lover carer like extracts them theatrically and she's leia Sido and it's just it's so it's again it it's i really love to see incredible actors like Getting to be as weird as they know yeah, how, yeah. and yeah, just Leo Sudo. You know, she's she's been a bon girl now, but now you know she's someone who like orgiastically moans as like she slits open her own face. You know, it's not for everyone. Maybe I won't be recommended to my dad, but for freaks like me and maybe you, Al. I don't know. I wouldn't dare to comment. Uh, yeah, it, it's just very atmospheric and like very sexy in a weird, weird way.
2: I might need Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris to calm down after I watch it. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, I'm going to give two super quick shout outs to movies that I'm excited for. I say I'm excited for because I'm in LA at the minute. They're already out here. So I've seen them, but they're coming to the UK soon. So bear with me. Number one, Emily the Criminal. If you think you know Aubrey Plaza, um, star of like Parks and Rec, films like that, very sardonic kind of character in her, both in the characters she tends to play and in her like personality kind of going on talk shows and stuff like that this is her doing this like lean mean uh kind of crime thriller in which she's playing it completely straight it's brilliant it's timely there's a big debate in the u.s at the minute about like um sort of student loan fees and the Ways in which they've kind of crippled young people because the interest on them is is pretty crazy. This film very much exists within that debate and shows the lengths that someone will go to to kind of get out from underneath that that debt and that pressure. Really, really good. And the second, on the complete other end of the the sort of spectrum, is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is Jenny Slate. <laughs> the uh another actress from Parks and Rec but yeah basically it's it's like a sort of stop animation story about a a shell a, like a talking shell who is the sweetest sweetest little kind of character and uh it's surprisingly moving surprisingly profound it's a meditation on death on sort of like living life to its fullest and it's Just such a joy. It's also from that like A24 stable of movies. So which to go back to the beginning, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies also is an A24 movie. It has that sort of indie slant, that kind of like slight edge to it, slight kind of like indie inventiveness. And it's, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. I'm really excited for people to share in this movie.
1: That sounds great. I love animations tackling death.
2: (laughs) That big genre, that massive genre. All right, Sophie, what have you got to plug? Where can people find you? Where can people read more of your work?
1: This is Venice Eve. Tomorrow, I take flight to the Venice Film Festival, which I'll be covering for the US outlet IndieWire and the UK outlet Sight and Sound. On the note of animations about death, I'm very excited. My favorite film of all time is called It's Such a Beautiful Day and It, uh, it Turns 10. And I, for that, have interviewed the director for the next issue of Little White Lies. Uh, I'm also working on my Magnus Opus. Al, you gave early feedback on it. Take a while before that's out, but yeah, it's my Magnus Opus. And then yeah, generally I'm like available to the highest bidder just for my writing work. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not very active because I think that's a fool's game, but you can I will promote my work there. So far so good. S O P H A R S O G O O D. Over to you, Al Horner. Where can where can the baying public find more of you?
2: So baying. Um, I am uh, available on Twitter. I'm Al underscore Horner there, where I tend to link all my pieces. I uh, write a lot for Empire. I have some very fun pieces, very fun features coming out from my time here in the US in upcoming issues of Empire. So that's fun. I also have a podcast because true to a lot of the discussion in Bodies, 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 I'm a white man in his thirties. I kind of by law have to have a podcast. So um, that podcast is called Script Apart and it's a screenwriting podcast in which acclaimed screenwriters revisit their first draft of what became a beloved movie. You can find that on all the usual podcast outlets. So please do that.
1: And I just want to say Al uses the same smooth charm he used to get me to do an ET impression to get these sc- acclaimed screenwriters to open up. It's, it's very dangerous, like very dangerous. You've heard it here, how dangerous it Yeah, I, t-
2: I tell Aaron Sorkin and all sorts of people that i'm gonna sing them frank ocean and then my internet connection goes down busted well that
0: just about wraps us up for another monthly episode of the love of cinema a picture house podcast proudly supported by kia thank you for listening listeners been really nice to see you and appreciate you downloading us if you enjoy the show please recommend it to a friend pass it on to someone who you know maybe likes going to the cinema maybe likes to visit a picture house cinema would be lovely to get more listeners always if you do enjoy the show please leave a rating on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to the show if your podcatcher allows such a thing that's a great way to help people discover the show if you enjoy it people look at the ratings they may enjoy it too huge thank you to sophie monks kaufman and al horner for being our special guest critics as they mentioned just a moment ago follow them on social media there's links in the show notes to their handles and do check out Sophie's writing, do check out our podcast script apart and uh, and if you like my voice do check out my other podcast 90 minutes or less film fest it's a celebration of films that are under 90 minutes long on each episode we're joined by a special guest and we ask them what is their favorite movie that is under 90 minutes long on our latest episode we've got the writer and podcaster John Ronson uh, talking to us about his own film frank that was a very fun chat indeed Thank you also to Kobe at Stripped Media. We couldn't make the show without Kobe. He's our producer extraordinaire. And thank you to Maddie Searle, our powerhouse editor. Maddie, thank you. I know you're listening because you're editing the show. Thank you very much for all your hard work on the pod. To find out more about what's on at your local Picturehouse Cinema, do check out picturehouses.com. You can follow us at PictureHouses on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook also. And I think that's just about it. Do subscribe to the feed because we'll have a few special episodes coming out in September, including an interview with Leslie Manville about working on Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. And we'll be back for another monthly episode in October with two new guest film critics. Have a lovely month, guys. Enjoy the movies. Hope you see some good stuff. Tell us what you watch. Love to hear it. And we'll see you next month. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.